Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church. So glad to have you here with us. I see some of you got the memo that it's time change, and uh, you actually turned your clock ahead. We're really glad you did, and we're able to join us here in person. We uh, know for the rest of you, you'll be joining us by way of our broadcast at 11.15, and we want to welcome all of you, regardless of how you are joining us, whether here visibly or virtually, you're with us today, and we're really glad to have you here. Um, we'd love to know of your visit with us, if again, if it's your first time, or you're a newcomer, if you've been uh, attending the last number of weekends, maybe here in person or uh, digitally online, if you could just let us know that. If you're here in person, you can stop out at our Connection Center. If you're joining us online, you can do it. There's a link uh, right in the broadcast. You can just click on that link. It'll take you right out to a contact us form. Let us know uh, of your visit here with us. We'd be so, so grateful to, to hear that and us have a chance to be able to actually welcome you in an appropriate way to Grace Crossing Church. Well, there are some dates in our life that we never forget. Uh, There are some dates that actually are etched in our cerebral cortex forever. Um, For men here, I hope you'll never forget your wedding day. Okay, I hope you remember your anniversary. Um, We'll never forget, if you're a parent, the day of our kids' births. Like, you just don't forget that day and how meaningful that was. Um, I can remember like it was yesterday where I was on 9-11. I can remember exactly what was happening. I can remember how the day as it unfolded. And I'll never forget March 12, 2020. I had just returned from a retreat in Chicago. I was there Monday through Wednesday. Got back Wednesday evening. And at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on March the 12th, I was huddled with our staff team in one of our kids' rooms watching the, what was the first of uh, a daily press conference that was going to start by our governor and our director of our health department, Amy Acton, where they actually announced that Ohio was virtually shutting down, moving into a lockdown phase because of the pandemic. Now, I don't think any of us will forget what that was like. And if, if you're anything like me, I was thinking at that time, wow, this is going to be really inconvenient for a couple of weeks. It's going to be a bummer. We aren't going to be able to have church for a few weeks. But that's okay. We're going to get right back at it in just a couple, and we'll be right at it. We are a year removed. I was sitting in a chair on Friday, March the 12th, with my sleeve rolled up, getting my first of two vaccinations for COVID-19. And I can tell you that I was sitting there remembering what felt like an eternity over this past year and all of the different changes that were going to come and all the ways we were going to have to make concessions, things in our life were not going to be the same. And we knew that. And one of the most insightful things that our leadership team did, our board did at the time, was they appointed what we here called a COVID care team to advise us, to lead us, to give us counsel, Uh, two medical professionals on that team, to just help us to navigate through what was very uncertain waters for us. We had not been down this road before, and none of us had. And I certainly didn't want to go down this road alone without some real uh, experts alongside of us. And we, we put a team together that has just served us so well. And what we made our lead foot then continues to be our lead foot now. And that is that we are going to make decisions that are all about loving well. It's our highest priority, it's our highest ambition, it's what Jesus called us to, and and it's what actually is the greatest evidence that we are followers of Christ. So we made 
loving well our lead foot in our decisions, in our protocols, uh, in our procedures, and we actually many times erred on the side of an abundance of caution in what we did. And I can tell you I'm really, really grateful for the wisdom of that team that has guided us along the way. Well, I'm happy to report today that there are two things that our COVID care team has green-lighted for us that we're going to be moving forward with, and we're really excited to announce these this morning. The first is that we are going to have our grand reopening of our kids' ministry next weekend on March the 21st. Really excited about this. And I want to say to all of our families, some that are here, many of us that are still joining us online, I want to say thank you. You have made more of a sacrifice than anyone has had to with both the schooling of your kids and just in getting your kids back involved in a healthy, a safe, a sensible way uh, in social activity. And I just want to say thanks to our families, not just the way you've cooperated, but the, but the way you've done it with the right spirit, heart, and attitude. We are so, so grateful, and we're excited uh, because we know you have made the greatest concessions during COVID. But we're going to be relaunching our kids' ministry next weekend. Uh, registration is already open for this. We do want to encourage you to register. In fact, it's important you do that uh, to let us know how many are coming. We also will, if needed, have a waiting list for uh, if, if we fill up, because we are trying to honor protocols and uh, spatially be spatially sensitive with our kids to make sure we're physically distancing appropriately. Uh, you can find out more about our kids reopening on our website. But just go to our website, look at our kids' ministry. All of the plan and the protocol is there for you. And uh, parents, we hope you'll take advantage. We hope we'll see you beginning next weekend. Really excited about that. We also want to mention that our COVID care team has also green-lighted another decision we made early on was to thin out the auditorium when we relaunched our in-person gatherings. Um, and we are going to, with the, with the uh, green light of our COVID care team, we're going to be adding our additional seating back in uh, with the number of COVID cases declining with immunizations inclining and going in the right direction, uh, and with all of the support that we've had from our church to honor our protocols, to make sure that we're all honoring and loving each other well, we feel the risk is very, very minimal to add the additional seating if we will continue to make sure that we honor the protocols that are in place, which means a properly worn face covering. It means making sure you sanitize your hands when you walk into the building and also being sensitive to, as is appropriate, physical distance, um, especially, again, as, as you're, you're walking in and out. We're going to do the very best we can to make sure that the flow of getting to the kids' rooms, et cetera, of parents is done in a fashion that we're not congesting our auditorium, our, our lobby area. So we, we just trust you'll help us and work with us on this. We also want to mention one other thing, that we are going to continue one service for right now. So obviously before the pandemic, we had a 9.30, 11.15. We moved to a broadcast at 11.15. We're going to continue to do that for now. And we'll keep you updated if there is a change and when there is a change on that. One final thing I want to mention is for the month of March, we are offering private baptisms for those that are interested in having a baptism and declaring your faith in Christ. So uh, we are doing this both by way of here at the church or at home uh, with just your immediate family. Again, it's another way to, for us to love well, but also to continue to honor the significant milestones in the life of people's faith. So next weekend on the 21st is the final uh, week and day to register for our baptisms. We got a number that I already have, but we would encourage you to do that. And uh, we will be in contact with you to work out the details of that baptism. Well, it's fair to say that it's cruel and unusual punishment to ask somebody to come and speak when they lose an hour of sleep and have to drive in. 
Uh, John, with friends like this, you don't need an enemy. Um, but uh, my relationship with John Wooten goes all the way back to the, uh, to the late 1980s. We're kind of dating ourselves here. When we were both youth pastors here in the state of Ohio, and interestingly, I served at a church uh, in the southern part of, of Cleveland uh, as a youth pastor. It was my first position. John left the church actually in, here in Columbus, Ohio, and moved to uh, take my position that I vacated there uh, at that church to move on to another church in the northwest part uh, of Cleveland. But really, our relationship came together in 1995 when I had the privilege of serving at the state office, the district office of the Assemblies of God as the youth director. John was already there serving as the administrative assistant to the district superintendent. And I can tell you, I spent five years of my life doing that before I moved here to pastor. And the highlight of that for me, no doubt, hands down, was my relationship with this speaker this morning, John Wooten. Um, He has and has always been a dear friend of mine, a trusted friend of mine. In fact, he was one of the very first people who reached out to me when he found out about Kelly just to let me know that he was here or anything we needed to support us. And sure enough, um, he's joining us today and will be with us a number of times over the next uh, several uh, weekends here and over the next several months uh, speaking. And I'm really, really delighted to have him. He serves today as the uh, uh, district superintendent, the network uh, superintendent of the Assemblies of God for the state of Ohio and uh, serves and supports about 280 churches here in the state of Ohio. And I want to just welcome him and have you join me today. Would you stand please and let's welcome Pastor John as he comes this morning. Oh, thank you so much. What a warm welcome. It's good to be here today at Grace Crossing uh, to be with dear friends uh, Gil and Kelly. And uh, we say hello as well to those of you who are joining us online. Uh, However, we're coming together today in the presence of the Lord to worship. We welcome you, and it's it's really good to be in the house in the presence of the Lord together. I'm joined with by my wife Bridget today, and uh, she would just echo what I'm about to say regarding our friendship uh, with the Dukemans and those five years. uh, It seems like, as Gil said, a lifetime ago, but how meaningful as both of us with our children who became uh, fast friends. uh, We're just so very grateful. Uh, today, as I help you and take the next chapter in this series, Equipped, uh, that you have been uh, journeying together with from Ephesians chapter 6, I can't help but recall the very first Wednesday night in Cleveland, Ohio, when I picked up the baton from Gil to lead the youth ministries at that church. I didn't know Gil that well, but I learned something in that first moment when he wasn't even there that really impressed me, and as I have joined you watching online the last few weeks, it just came back to me again about what a gifted speaker and teacher you have at Grace Crossing. I think you all realize that. I know you have a team here, but uh, your pastor is so gifted. And uh, if you are here today for the first time or you're watching online, please come back uh, and, and hear Pastor Gill's teaching. If you've never done that before, uh, you will find not only outstanding teaching, but also a loving church that can't wait to help you and your family and your loved ones on the journey that God has for you. But that Wednesday night, I stood up. I wasn't even 25 years old. And Gill and I share the same birthday uh, every year. And uh, we tease each other because he's one year older than I am. So I wasn't 25 yet, but Gil was. So that's, that's my uh, defense for what happened that first night. 
Um, I'm a brand new youth pastor. It's a larger church than what I'm used to, and so I'm a little nervous about addressing the young people that night. And I get up to share with them and just kind of, you know, say hello. And as soon as I come to the music stand in the youth room to speak, all of the young people, no exceptions, without any instruction, all of them instinctively reach underneath their chair. I'm thinking, what in the world are they doing? All of these young people are, are reaching underneath their chairs and they're pulling out their notebooks and their pens. These are teenagers and I have not instructed them to do that. They have come to youth group ready to hear something that is worth taking notes for. <laughs> Talk about panic and Oh, what am I going to say? Do I have anything for them to take notes on? So I think I was kind of uh, depending on the Holy Spirit that night. Uh, and that's just indicative of the gift that God has given your pastor. And uh, we're so, so dear friends. And as Gil said, uh, you know, he didn't mention that when we were in our five-year relationship working together, uh, that the Dukemans were such a help to the Wootens because I had a cancer battle uh, back then. And I'll never forget the many, many ways that the Dukeman family rose to the occasion. And uh, Gil, we are praying for you. And of course, Kelly, so good to see you today. And uh, we're joining thousands and thousands of people uh, beyond greater Dayton who are lifting up this very special couple and believing with faith for the, the best of God to show up weekly and monthly, just as he's been doing their whole life long. So today we're going to continue in this equip series, which is based on Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 20. I won't read all those passages to, to you today, but we're talking about taking on the heavenly spiritual armor that God has gifted each of his children with. And my privilege today is to hone in on verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16, our, our focus is having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Now, before we dive into those two verses today, let's real quickly, because again, I've been joining you and just really enjoy this message. Let's remember where we have come thus far in the first few weeks. We have been learning about Paul's letter, his love for the church in Ephesus, uh, and how the book of Ephesians is broken into three distinct parts, uh, sitting with Christ. It's how we become who we are. There's, there's nothing we need to do. We cannot earn our salvation. Let's just appreciate who God really is and who that makes us as his children. Secondly, we walk in Christ. Now that we have this awareness, this knowledge, this encouragement, we begin to take steps. We do battle. And it's important that we walk out our faith. But we do it in humility and we do it in love. And now we're in chapter six and we're being reminded of the value and the need to stand. After having done all to stand. And you are definitely going to want to tune in or be here uh, next week and in the weeks ahead as this uh, exciting teaching series comes to an end. The big idea that has been reinforced week after week is through Christ, I am fully equipped to step into the arena and meet the demands of life by God's mighty power. Amen. Thank God for that. Through Christ, I am fully equipped to step into the arena and meet the demands of life by God's 
mighty power. So with that today, we focus on verses 15 and 16. Having our feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Putting on and being ready to go with the gospel of peace on our feet. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you may be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. So let's unpack these in two parts today. First, the gospel of peace. And then secondly, the shield of faith. The gospel of peace and the shield of faith. If we're going to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, I want to encourage you today with three things that we cannot do. Notice that that we don't just put them on our feet. We don't just put these shoes on. We, We put them on so that we are ready. This implies we have got to be paying attention. We've got to be instant, in season, and out of season, ready to go because this is so essential. So there are three things we cannot do. Now, I need to preface this by saying, yes, you could do them if you wanted to, but I I hope after this series you would say there's no reason why I'd want to. In fact, you would think what I think, which is we cannot afford with the readiness of the gospel of peace and all that is required, we cannot afford to move into life without having our feet ready. Now, as I continue my teaching today, let me just give you a, a, a few items to coach you. Some of you were here several years ago, the last time I was, I was here. Others of you, this is the first time we've ever met. So you won't remember this about me, so let me help you. I move along. It just seems like I just move along. The faster I will go as people will respond by saying, amen, amen. So easy. Easy. All right. So as we move along here, we're going to do three things that we cannot do with a gospel of peace and three things we cannot do with the shield of faith. So please enter in and uh, respond as the Lord leads you. First of all, we cannot take our shoes off. We can't take our shoes off. Now, this is, this is going to put some people on edge right there because your home is the kind of home. Uh, I, I was in a home recently where there's actually a sign when you walk in take your shoes off. It's not an, uh, an implied, I hope you understand. No, it, it's very clear. Don't, don't walk anywhere without taking your shoes off. And so I want to let you know, in, in this context, we cannot take our shoes off. That's what Paul's trying to help the Ephesians understand. We have to be ready. It's always time to step in with the gospel of peace. It's always time. There, there's never any time when we should not be ready to step into the situation with the gospel of peace in our own lives, in our own families, where we work, where we live, where we recreate. It's always, always the time to be ready to step into the situation with the gospel of peace. Be ready always to give an answer of the hope that is in you. That's why Paul uses this image. We cannot take these shoes off. It's always time. And of course, as you have discovered, as I have I, sometimes it's the times that we least expect. 
Sometimes it may not look on the front end as though this is the invitation to share the gospel of peace. But as you are led by the Holy Spirit, these opportunities with loved ones, with co-workers, with friends, and of course, what we have walked through, as Pastor Gill was saying, a year now, how many opportunities we have had to encourage folks with life with hope, that that the light that Jesus has given us to shine has been able to do so because there are so many opportunities to walk in, to step in as the Spirit leads with the gospel of peace. We cannot afford to take these shoes off. Secondly, we cannot take the enemy's bait. Notice the wording that Paul is using here, the gospel of peace. The enemy understands the consequences. If you and I will choose on a regular basis to remain ready with the gospel, the good news of peace, it's game over. It's lights out for his plan. So the only thing he can do is to distract us. The only thing he can do is to, to, to dangle things out here that will, that will take our attention away from the good news that always, always, always has associated with it salvation and peace. The enemy wants to distract us. And so what I wanted to do uh, for this point is to remind you what Pastor Gill said earlier. Remember how there are some things in your life that you will never forget. They are firmly established. What was that in your cerebral cortex? I'll tell you one. He is so gifted. The, The the office of superintendent that I serve in with 280 churches, I do get some emails. I do get some calls from time to time with people all over Ohio. Do you know I've never gotten one call from Grace Crossing that I'm not getting fed here? Do you know that? I have, no one has ever called and said, in fact, if anybody were ever to say that, I would, I would just laugh or hang up because I know that's not true, Right? So remember, in this way, that moment for you, the the first time you ever saw something that that totally captivated your attention. That's, that's That's what the world needs right now, and the enemy knows it. And so what he'll try to do is convince us to, to, hey, follow the world, do what they're doing. This is cool. This is relevant. This This is how things are, especially in the arena that's so prevalent in our culture, with political and social debates and divisions. And the enemy is trying to get desperately for you and I to step into the world system of how we communicate and how we argue and how we share our opinions. And he knows that if he will get us off message from stepping in instead with the readiness of the gospel of peace, That's going to help his efforts and frustrate the kingdom. So let's give the world something they've never seen before. If we give them more debates, if we give them more arguing, if we give them more dysfunction and division, they're going to start to yawn and say, well, I've seen that my whole life. That's all I ever see. Instead, what if we give them an image they've never seen before? What what if we show them how, how... something like the gospel of Jesus Christ can so permeate a culture of believers that they live in peace, that, that they don't get caught up in all of the things, the shouting and the, the hurling of insults and the arguing and the, okay, well, that's how you feel. We are separated forever. Let's shine something to the world that they've never seen before, the gospel of peace. You remember some of these images that are on the screen? Some of you uh, remember the first time you saw Niagara Falls, right? 
For some of you, it was a few years ago. For others of you, it was decades ago. What a beautiful thing to see. It, it just takes your breath away when you see something like that up close. And how about the Grand Canyon, right? When you, when, when you feel so small as you step to the edge, you will never forget the time that your eyes Really, you've seen pictures, but until you're there, you, it's hard to imagine and you will never forget it. Folks, I want to encourage you, the readiness of the gospel of peace has been gift wrapped by heaven for you and I to give to the world something they have never seen before, which seems so distant and so unreachable. We can show them how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ can so change our hearts and fill us with hope that we live together in love, which is related to the third thing we cannot do, and that is we cannot take a single step alone. With our feet fitted with the gospel of peace, we cannot afford to take a single step alone. The gospel of peace requires that we send and deliver this message together. That's, that's how the gospel goes forward. We, we do it together. Our testimony, our witness encourages each other, and that is what catches the attention of the world. What did, what did Jesus say when he was praying before he was crucified? He gave us such an encouragement about the gospel of peace when he prayed this way in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Remember, these are now the hours before Jesus comes to the end of his ministry on earth. You know what would be on your mind. I know what would be on my mind if, if, if I was just me, let alone if I was the Lord. I'm getting ready to be crucified. I know how this script turns out. Jesus knows that very quickly he's going to be judged. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified and will, and will die. And he is the son of God. And yet look what is on his mind and on his heart. I think I would be at a non-stop I would just be going on and on. This is not fair. This is not right. You're about to make a terrible mistake. Don't do this. Look what Jesus is doing. He's praying. I do not pray, Heavenly Father, for these, my disciples alone, but I also pray for everyone who will believe in me through their word, their testimony. In other words, he's praying for you and he's praying for me. He's about to go to the cross for our sins. And if that's not enough, he's praying for you. And he's praying for me because we are believing today as a result of the testimony of saints throughout the centuries. And what was his prayer? That they would all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be one in us. Catch this, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Based on what you know about the gospel, how important do you think it is that the world understands who Jesus is? It's about the most important thing in the gospel message. Jesus was sent as a savior to pay the sins for every one of your sins and every one of mine on the cross when he was perfect, the son of God, but he did it because of God's great love. How important then is it for you and I to join Jesus in that prayer, that we would be one, that we would be the fulfillment of his prayer, that you and I would be so unified 
that the world would, would say, I've never seen anything like that before. Your agreement in the Holy Spirit with me and my agreement in the Holy Spirit with you is central to the world understanding who Jesus is, which is why when you and I don't show them the image of Niagara Falls, when we don't show them the Grand Canyon, but we show them the local trash heap because we go at it with each other, because we call out Christians whom we disagree with, and and because we join in the fray of, of increasing disunity in the body of Christ, we're totally missing the gospel of peace. Well, well, Pastor John, that, that sounds really nice, but you know what I know. There are millions of believers, and even in our own church, even our own church, we don't see every single thing about Scripture the same way. Absolutely. You are absolutely correct. And until we get to heaven, that's going to be the case. So what is Jesus talking about when he says to be one in him? I want to submit to you an example that many of you already know from the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Here, I believe, is is a central component to you and I being so unified as we share and as we show the gospel that it's this image to the world that they will never forget. It It will show them peace their eyes have never seen. You remember the prodigal son, how the, how the younger son took off prematurely and didn't want to wait. He was impatient. He was rude. He was arrogant. He took his inheritance and ran off. And of course, it, it didn't work like he thought. And, and remember that he, he is uh, in Jewish culture, that Jesus is telling the story. And so when he winds up working as a farmer's hand in the pit of pigs, and you know what pigs are to the Jewish culture, right? Totally unclean. So understand how, how low he had gone from living with his father and all of that inheritance to, to go out and live now. And he says to himself, the pigs are eating better than I am. So where do we see in verse 18 that he has come to? He says to himself, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. In the pit, watching the pigs eat better than you, that makes total sense. It's still a long shot because he knows he doesn't even deserve to be anywhere near his father. But nonetheless, he develops this three-point plan. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Father, make me like one of your hired servants. Now we know from this passage that that he had gone a long he had gone to a land a far way away. So now as he is walking back home, can you imagine if you were him how many times you would be rehearsing the moment when you had to suck it all up, when you had to somehow believe with the, without hope that, that there was some way that your, your father, who you had rejected, would listen to you, would even allow you to come into his presence, let alone say yes to the plan. How many times, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Father, I, I am not worthy to be called your son. Father, make me like one of your servants. 
Let's do this again. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Father, make me like one of your servants. And over and over and over and over again, he rehearsed that, hoping somehow his father would say yes. And of course, you know how this ends. Scripture paints for us this unforgettable image of when he does finally crest the hill. He's not even home yet. Where do we see the father in this image? Is, is he inside watching TV? Is it, has he moved on? No, he's, he's out there on the porch, but, but are his arms crossed? He sees his son. And, uh, hey, everybody, get a load of what the cat drug in. This is going to be rich. Mm-mm. Not that father. Not our heavenly father. He's looking. How many months, how many years, every single day, like clockwork, he could be found on that front porch. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. He had known what it was like to lose his son the first time. And if that opportunity ever came again, there was no way he was going to make, let, allow that opportunity to come and go without being ready for his son to come home. The servants, the rest of the family, they were all talking about the father. They were worried about him. Why is he hoping? Why is he out there again today? When everyone else had given up, the father was there. He was watching. And then my favorite part I don't know how old this man was. This is a parable, so it, it can be however you want it to be. But when he saw what looked like the image of his son, which is a statement right there that every father and mother here can relate to, you know. You know what your children look like. When he saw the image of that son cresting the hill, still a long way away from the front porch, he took off. He was out of there. He started running down the road to make sure that son had no possible way of misunderstanding that he was welcome. It's time. We've been waiting. Yes, you are welcome here. We're so glad that you have come home. Well, well, he had his speech ready. So what does verse 21 and 24 say? The son said to him, number one, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Father, may... He couldn't even get there. He couldn't even outline the plan that he had because his father interrupted him. Servants, bring out the best robe and put it on my son. and Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring here the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this son of mine was dead, and now he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to be merry. If I can be honest with you today, having been raised in the church, having heard and read and taught on Luke 15 more times than I can imagine, I have always landed on the older son, and that's where I need to, to really wrestle and don't become that hardened heart. And there's truth in that. But reading this recently, I was reminded I'm the prodigal. 
We all are the prodigal. We, we, none of us would be here were it not for the grace and the forgiveness of God who won't even want to talk about how we can earn our salvation. It's enough. It's enough. You're back. You've come home. You, you know that you've sinned and you know that I love you. That's enough. That's enough. I submit to you today that we can provide that image that the world will never forget if that's what they see. That we are just a group of people who love our heavenly father and we are amazed that he has forgiven us. We are all aware of our sins. We all know we don't deserve even to be a hired hand, but we are just 24-7 consumed by the love of God and that is what unites you and I. That is the unity that Jesus has been praying for, that we are all so overwhelmed by what unites us, and that is all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserves, and I submit to you, if the world will begin to see you and I focusing repetitively, like a drumbeat, on our united stance in front of a heavenly father that we do not deserve, the world is going to say, I have never seen that before, and they'll never forget it. The gospel of peace. Well, as we move to our conclusion today with the shield of faith, let me just submit this to you. We cannot fight out of formation. We cannot fight with insufficient protection. We can't fight a stationary battle. I want to unpack that before we have our closing prayer. There's three things we can't do if we're going to take the shield of faith and be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Number one, we cannot fight out of formation. Paul, Paul was raised in Roman culture. He was writing to people who were very aware of Roman culture, and everybody knew that Roman soldiers fight in formation. They don't, they don't fight on their own. They don't have their own. They are very much in lines, in rows, and there's a plan. And, and we too, with the shield of faith, we do it together. We share the gospel of peace together, and we defend ourselves together. We are a body, and we need each other, and we fight in formation. Secondly, we cannot fight with insufficient protection, in case we have missed what the image of this shield of faith is, remember the Roman culture. So, so Paul was not talking about just any old shield. He wasn't talking about small shields like, like Spider-Man in this image. Uh, some of you here who are Marvel fans, you will explain to me what Spider-Man is doing with the Captain America shield. But I don't know, but some of you know. So you'll tell me, I'm sure, after the service is over today. But look at that shield. There's all kinds of exposure. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the shield of faith, the Roman shield, which you can see is much larger. And when, when the Romans fight in formation, when they use these shields, they were completely protected, which was why they were for centuries so victorious because nothing was getting past their shield. And that is what Paul is encouraging us with today that this shield of faith is larger. It is more effective than we can possibly imagine. And when we fight in formation, very little can get through to the child of God. And finally, we cannot fight a stationary battle. I know that's offensive to some of you who like to write with cards and letters. We're not talking about that kind of stationary. We're talking about staying, standing put. 
We can't, we can't just stand in one position. The shield of faith, other things are attached to us. The shield of faith can move because life moves, because the enemy moves. And so we can go up, we can go down. This can protect us. We can use each other and we can move our faith wherever it needs to land. Your shield of faith empowers you no matter what the dilemma. It empowers you to say both these responses, even now and even if. Even now and even if. Sometimes the shield of faith is used in an even now mandate. I am calling on heaven, not by my own strength, but on on my relationship with Jesus Christ, I am calling on the power of heaven even now to intervene in what, a way that everyone would say was divine, instantaneous, and miraculous. And folks, that still happens in 2021, even now. But we can also, and we must also use our shield of faith on those even if days. Even though I have prayed and even though I believe if my eyes do not see today what my even now faith is still believing for, even if, even though, even then, yet is God still good. Yet will I be found faithful, not in my own strength, but because of all that he has equipped me with, because of the saints who strengthen me, who lift me up, I will still be found faithful standing, even now and even if. So let me go back to the first part of Ephesians as we pray, when we were reminded to just become, to be aware, to sit, to, to absorb who we are. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter one, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding, that your earthly eyes would be supernaturally transformed so that you can really see, not just what, what human eyes see, but see what heaven sees. And Ephesians chapter one, he said this. This is so correlated to our faith. In verse 19, with heavenly eyes, see what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he performed in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he performed in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Even now, or even if, that's the power that your faith can tap into today. And with eyes of heavenly understanding, imagine the dilemmas, imagine the challenges, the obstacles today and, and 10 years from now as they encounter the shield of faith that is wielded by Christians who are in unity, who believe, who live, who worship together. What is that power? Well, Paul described it, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning as we, in our own minds, try to imagine what that power means? The power that raised Jesus from the dead. Just in your own life today, in your own family, imagine the heaviness and the weight that's pushing down on your family, on your life, simply because of one loved one's situation. 
It might be a, a diagnosis of anxiety or depression. It might be financial pressures or employment changes brought on by the pandemic. That's pressure. It might be a relationship that is broken that's not where it needs to be. That is so heavy. Perhaps your family, your, your household right now is under the weight of an addiction, a nagging sin that seems like there, there's never going to be a breakthrough. Perhaps it's the heaviness of a, a doctor's report. And it seems like such an uphill battle as, as you put one foot in front of another with this diagnosis that is weighing on your mind and your heart. That is one household's weight. That is the, the pain on one household. Now, imagine in your mind's eye today, see with heavenly eyes what heaven sees, and that is the room full of saints today and online. Magnified now that the weight that we're all bearing in our own way, that we're all having to, to navigate right now. And it's, it's beyond the mind's comprehension to properly appreciate how heavy that weight is. And yet that's just the tip of the iceberg because we are part of one community and here in, in, in Southwest Ohio and, and across the state, we begin to magnify it. And the weight of all of that begins to, to be more than our minds can possibly imagine. And then we spread it across this country and we spread it around the world, the, the millions of lives just in this year, the, the nursing home situations that we've all heard about where, where visitors were not able to come and hospitals and ICUs and, and the pain of, of loved ones that we've lost and on and on and on and on. And then we magnify it, the weight of sin, the weight of pain as one human has inflicted unimaginable disrespect and abuse and murder upon others. Magnify that then throughout the centuries, throughout the centuries, throughout the centuries. And that is the weight that is keeping Jesus in the grave. That is the weight that he went to the cross to bear for your sins, for your illnesses, for everything that sin has brought upon us. And that was the weight that the power of God came through and lifted Jesus out of the grave. It said that weight is no match for the power of God. So that shield of faith that you're bearing today it is more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Have heaven's eyes today in your circumstances to say with faith and to believe with faith, even now as that faith is released, I'm going to believe for a miracle, a miracle that will change lives, a miracle that will save lives, even now. And even if it doesn't happen the way I expect it to happen, I'm still going to believe and I'm still going to trust and I still know there'll be a breakthrough and I still know God will get the glory. Even now, even with the shield of faith that represents the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, I pray for each person in this room today, no matter what they're facing, that your Holy Spirit will remind them, empower them, encourage them, sustain them to have their feet constantly ready 
to rush into the situation, whether it's through deed, whether it's through word, whether it's through both, and to do it with the unity of the saints so we give the world the peace, the good news of Jesus Christ that they've never seen before, and that together we lift one another up, that we exercise this faith that you have given us, not because we're looking at what the world looks at, but because you've given us heavenly eyes to see there's nothing too difficult for our God. Through Christ, I am fully equipped to step into the arena and meet the demands of life by God's mighty power. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.